The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org.
Thank you, Reiko, and good morning and welcome to everyone, those here in our sanctuary and those joining us online. I am Richard Davis Lowell, and I'm, an, I'm a worship associate here at UUSF, and I'll be bringing our message this morning. I am joined on the chancel this morning by my husband, Bill Lowell, who will be co-leading worship with me and bringing our reflection. Thanks to our musicians today, our choir led by music director, Dr. Mark Sumner, our organist, Reiko Oda-Lane, our musicians, Eric Shackelford, our baritone this morning, Kelvin Jones, our soloist, William Garcia Gans, our pianist. And thank you to our communications and tech team who are monitoring our live stream this morning and are available to help you if you have any questions. And also, thank you for wearing your masks indoors. We do ask that everyone remain masked in our sanctuary and in our hallways so that these spaces are safe for our vulnerable folks. Everyone speaking or singing today who removes their mask has had a negative antigen test this morning. At coffee hour, following service or outdoors, you are free to remove your masks. Thank you for your cooperation in keeping everyone safe. We want to send our thoughts and well wishes to our senior minister, the Reverend Vanessa Rush Southern, who is on sabbatical during January. This morning, January 15th, 2023, would have been the 94th birthday of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. We honor his prophetic vision, his lived struggle, and his continuing call to us in worship today. Again, welcome. Welcome to worship. For our chalice lighting, we light our chalice as a symbol of Unitarian Universalism, calling into this space all who are part of this community, near or far. Wherever this hour finds you, you are with us too. For those of you at home, feel free to light your own candle or chalice if you have one. Please join me as we say the words of our chalice lighting, printed in your order of service. We light this challenge for the light of truth, the warmth of love, and the fire of commitment. We light this symbol of our faith as we gather together.
in person or online. If this is your first time with us, let me again welcome you. If you'd like to receive our weekly newsletter, The Flame, or receive an emailed link to Sunday's live stream, please fill out one of our connections forms, which are found on our welcome table outside the sanctuary, or use the link in our electronic order of service. The order of service lists upcoming events and opportunities to connect. Please engage in any or all that are interest up to you. We have one announcement this morning. Next Monday or tomorrow, January 16th at 11 a.m., the Interfaith, San Francisco Interfaith Council invites all of us to join them at the Caltrain station at 11 a.m. for a march in honor of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. That's tomorrow at 11 a.m., and more information is in your bulletin. So with that, let's take a moment now to greet one another. We'll be prompted by music to gather again in a few minutes, after which we will say together our covenant and sing our doxology. So let's greet one another. The words of the covenant are some of the promises that we make to one another about what it means to commit to being in, in community, this community, together. I invite you to say them with me, followed by our sung doxology. The words for both are found in the order of service. Love is the spirit of this church, and service is its prayer. This is our great covenant, to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in freedom, and to help one another. January 2023, and I'm starting another year. I associate the new year with changes, new beginnings, new challenges, maybe some personal goals. In any case, change. I've been thinking a lot about the timing of change. When I look at changes that I've made in my life, I see that they are subject to timing, 
often my own, and other times in response to external conditions. After all, I could change course at any time, on any day, and not just in January. But as I look at really important changes that I have made in my life, I realize that the ripeness of the moment of change, for me, is very often a sense that something feels so wrong that I just can't stand it anymore. I am fed up. <laughs> it's my own personal discomfort meter. I become so uncomfortable that I just have to do something. I can think of the timing of big changes that I've made, such as coming out as a gay man in my 20s, or the timing of leaving a relationship, or changing a job. During the past few years of what we are coming to know as the COVID era, I've had the heat in my life turned way, way up. Starting just before COVID arrived, I had a back surgery which went wrong with infections. I had a second surgery and other complications, which left me unable to walk and in intense chronic pain for most of 2020. As I began to improve, I also suffered, as I know many of you did, with COVID isolation, with our former president and so many associated political horrors, with news about police murders that led to renewed civil rights struggle and the blossoming of the Black Lives Matter movement, with work and money worries, and even a lawsuit related to our home. My husband Richard described it as having a six-burner stove covered with pots, and all the pots are boiling over at the same time. I think some of you know what I mean. I can hear it. After my back pain finally subsided and my physical recovery accelerated, I was, of course, tremendously relieved and grateful. But my confidence had been shaken. So many of my assumptions about life were in question. Maybe retirement isn't what I thought. Maybe I'll be in pain for the rest of my life. Maybe disability is no longer something that just happens to others. Maybe we won't have enough money, and maybe our society is just going to go crazy. Mostly, I was afraid about the future, and the constant fear left me with an intense anxiety and depression. As I dragged around our apartment for several months, my very supportive and patient husband finally said, you had better talk to someone else to get help. I am always here for you, but I can only do so much. I knew he was right, and my discomfort meter was at the pitch of a blaring siren. Finally, I made the dreaded trip to a therapist. Those few months were life-saving and life-changing. One of the books suggested to me by my therapist was a book of Buddhist principles written by Pema Chodron called When Things Fall Apart. I'd been a reader of Buddhist-oriented books for years, but I never developed any practice. And now I am blessed with a three times per week meditation group here at UUSF online. And I joined a sangha, or a practice community, 
introduced to me by Elena Perez, our meditation leader here at church. I know I have become more humble and at least a little bit more willing to be vulnerable, like saying all of this right now. Feeling wretched has a way of softening us up. If that's the ground for understanding others, then maybe even wretchedness can be celebrated. And I have read the book by Pema Chodron more times than I can count. It's fair for you to ask, that's a nice story, Bill, but did you change? I don't want to oversell it, but I would say I have developed a practice that's calling me to be more honest and aware. I found co-travelers on the way. And I came to realize just how much the voice in my head is constantly creating and retelling stories. Stories about past events told as fact, although I probably am misremembering them. And stories about a future that, while possible, is really so much fantasy. Change. It can take a time of crisis, but it's never too late. There are those words again, time and change. Some changes are not ready to emerge. That's okay. Maybe I'm not clear enough. And some changes can't wait. They have already waited too long. I may be hurting myself or others waiting. And that seems like the clarion call of a past due date. Sometime, something I'm learning is that the present moment is perfect, always. Actually, the ripeness is now. Lord, take my hand, lead me on, let me stand, I am tired, I am weak, I am warm.
precious Lord, lead me home. Our reading this morning is an excerpt from Martin Luther King Jr.'s letter from Birmingham jail, written in April 1963, after his arrest for leading peaceful protests against segregation and all of the segregated lunch counters and white-only signs in public establishments. My friends, I must say to you that we have not made a single gain in civil rights without determined legal and nonviolent pressure. History is a long and tragic story of the fact that privileged groups seldom give up the privileges voluntarily. Individuals may see the moral light and voluntarily give up their un just posture, but, as the, as the theologian Reinhold Niebuhr reminds us, groups are more in, immoral than individuals. We know through painful experience that freedom is never voluntarily given by the oppressor. It must be demanded by the oppressed. Frankly, I have never yet engaged in a direct action movement that was well-timed, according to the timetables of those who have not suffered unduly from the disease of segregation. For years now, I have heard the word wait. It rings in the ear of every Negro with a piercing familiarity. This wait has almost always meant never. We must come to see with the distinguished jurists of yesterday, yesterday that justice too long delayed is justice denied.
in our time of spoken and silent meditation this morning, I invite you to take a deep breath and enter fully into our sacred space and receive the words of Amanda Gorman, whose poem, The Hill We Climbed, highlighted the inauguration of President Joseph Biden. Her new work is entitled New Day's Lyric. May this be the day we come together. Morning, we come to mend. Withered, we come to weather. Torn, we come to tend. Battered, we come to better. Tethered by this year of yearning, we are learning that though we weren't ready for this, we have been readied by it. Steadily, we vow that no matter how we are weighed down, we must always pave a way forward. This hope is our door, our portal, even if we never get back to normal. Someday, we can venture beyond it to leave the known and take the first steps. So let us not return to what was normal, but reach toward what is next. What was cursed, we will cure. What was plagued, we will prove pure. Where we tend to argue, we will try to agree. Those fortunes we foreswore now the future we foresee. Where we weren't aware, we're now awake. Those moments we missed are now these moments we make. The moments we meet and our hearts once altogether beaten, now altogether beat, come. Look up with kindness yet, for even solace can be sourced from sorrow. But remember, not just for the sake of yesterday, but to take on tomorrow. We heed this old spirit in a new day's lyric. In our hearts, we hear it. For old anxiety, my dear, for old anxiety, be bold, saying time this year. Be bold, saying time. For when you honor yesterday, tomorrow ye will find. Know what we fought, need not be forgotten, nor for none. It defines us, binds us as one. Come over, join this day just begun. For wherever we come together, we will forever overcome. We will now tend to this morning's offering. Um, this, this morning's offering will benefit the work and ministries of the Black, Indigenous, and People of Color, or BIPOC group. Their mission is to provide a space for social, emotional, and spiritual support for BIPOC UUSF members and friends.
Every first Sunday of the month, anyone who identifies as black, indigenous, or a person of color is welcome to join for some discussion, community building, and organizing. All of the details are in your bulletin. If you are uh, contributing electronically, please select Offering to make the, uh, your gift. And if you're sending a check, please mark the memo with today's date and a note that says Special Offering. Thank you in advance for your generosity. The morning's offering will now be both given and gratefully received. Did you happen to watch President Zelensky of Ukraine's address to a joint session of Congress in December? I did, and I saw a moment, and I saw a leader. I saw someone who is facing a titanic opponent and who knew that he'd been given an enormous challenge and opportunity in the span of 30 minutes. There, amongst the well-fed, well-dressed, warm and secure audience, he made his case. But not just his case, the case for millions whose hopes, dreams, and wishes, and very survival hinged on what he said, how he said it, and how it was received. 
I think he knew that in that moment, his actions in front of that relatively small assembly held the fate of his people. I believe meeting a moment defines a leader. It's what I admire and recognize and hold out as one of their virtues. Somehow, despite personal danger, loss, and challenges, leaders are able to call to us, to somehow reach us, to help us see a better place. They call to our better selves, if even just for a moment. Their voices roll down through history, cutting through like thunder before a storm, warning us, reminding us, and showing us by the sacrifices they must make that prophetic words can be met by life-changing deeds and that the future is not yet written. That, to me, is a true leader. They are able to meet a moment, and it isn't always necessary for it to be live-streamed from the center of power and influence in the modern world. President Zelensky did that for about 30 minutes, and so did Martin Luther King Jr. some 60 years ago from inside a jail cell in a small, racially torn southern city where with a pen and paper, he met another moment with his letter from inside a Birmingham, Alabama jail. Dr. King's letter was written in longhand or cursive. It takes about 30 minutes or so to read it, and it's clear to me that its message was meant for a far wider audience than those eight Birmingham-based faith leaders whose editorial prompted its writing. In Dr. King's letter, I heard three messages rolling down through history, cutting through the years like thunder before a storm. I heard the same message loud and clear inside President Zelensky's speech, at once a call to our better selves and a warning. First, that our world, our world is interconnected and that the actions of one affect many. Second, that it's long past time that we tackle together the toughest issues that divide us. And third, that great prophetic words and aspirations must be met by deeds. Deep into Dr. King's letter, his words from 1963 left off the page. I am cognizant of the interrelatedness of all communities and states, he writes. I cannot sit idly by in Atlanta and not be concerned about what's happening in Birmingham. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. 
we are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. Sixty years later, President Zelensky reminds us again that we are living in one world. From the United States to China, from Europe to Latin America, and from Africa to Australia, he said. The world is too interconnected and interdependent to allow someone to stay aside and at the same time to feel safe when such a battle continues. In my mind's eye, I imagine a 1963 newspaper reader landing on Dr. King's letter, or like me today, watching President Zelensky's speech on their phone. While these interconnections may seem fine in the abstract, something else nagged at me. I've heard it over and over again. The world is shrinking. We are living on one planet. It's true. At least, I think it's true that what we do to and with each other matters more than ever, and indifference is not an option. If, if I turn away from ugliness, it doesn't change. If I avoid glancing at the unsheltered, they remain unsheltered. And if I ignore the cries of my neighbors, my cries are ignored as well. The cries for justice are inconvenient. President Zelensky entered into a discussion that many would rather not have, talking about war during Christmas and Hanukkah, for God's sake, couldn't he give it a break, some said. Dr. King's distractors asked him, is it possible you are in too great of a religious hurry? All Christians know that colored people will receive equal rights eventually. It has taken Christianity almost 2,000 years to accomplish what it has. The teachings of Christ take time to come to earth, Dr. King. But that's what leaders do. They encourage us and challenge us and persuade us to enter into discussions of a reality we would sometimes rather overlook, or at least I would rather overlook. I, I don't know about you, but I have to admit that there are times I'd rather stay in ignorance than enter into discussions of reality. I have a strange reaction to anyone showing up I don't know who begins a discussion of my shortcomings and where I might improve. I go into a defensive crouch when I'm called out, much like those presumably and 
otherwise decent Birmingham clergy who called Dr. King out. And I recently had an encounter with that. I think we can all remember during our own discussions of our eighth principle. More on that in a moment. Dr. King calls out his detractors in exaggerated fashion, forcing a kind of hoped-for self-reflection. He writes, you say that you deplore the demonstrations that are presently taking place in Birmingham, but I am sorry that your statement did not express similar concern for the conditions that brought the demonstrations into being. I am sure that each of you would want to go beyond the superficial social analyst who looks merely at effects and does not grapple with underlying causes, he writes, and continues, I would not hesitate to say that it is unfortunate that, so, that so-called demonstrations are taking place in Birmingham at this time, but I would say in more emphatic terms that it is even more unfortunate that the white power structure of this city left the Negro community with no other alternative. And President Zelensky used a similar tactic to call out the unjust suffering of his people today. They threw everything at us, he said, similar to the other tyranny, which in the Battle of the Bulge threw everything it had against the free world, just like the brave American soldiers which held their lines and fought back against Hitler's forces during the Christmas of 1944, brave Ukrainian soldiers are doing the same to the enemy forces this Christmas. Ukraine holds its line and will never surrender. The reaction Dr. King received from his fellow religious leaders being labeled an outside agitator or troublemaker, echoed in the criticism some hurled at President Zelensky after his speech. Some called him a welfare queen. Others slammed him for showing up in a tracksuit, all somehow ignorant or pretending to be ignorant of his reasons for being there. This hit home for me and reminded me of our own congregation's struggle around the Unitarian Eighth Principle. For you non-Unitarians, you may not be familiar with our principles, our covenant that we hold out as that which defines our faith and how we move together in the world. There are seven principles adopted years ago, which will soon be joined by an eighth. It states that we affirm and promote journeying towards spiritual wholeness by working to build a diverse, multicultural, beloved community, by our actions that accountably dismantle racism and other oppressions in ourselves 
and in our institutions. It was that call to dismantle that odious condition in ourselves that generated much discussion, the wringing of hands, a pearl-clutching moment, if you'll allow me. That admission before being wholly embraced by our congregation got stuck for a moment in our collective throats. I think it's because it's one thing to have principles and quite another to match those principles with deeds. Great leaders know it takes more than words to create change. That great prophetic words must be met by deeds. It's never the right time for progress, and it's never convenient for the privileged to see that their positions, their image of self, and all that they believe is built on the deprivation of others. That's never welcome news, and woe be it to the news bringers. There's a long list of those who have paid the ultimate price, including Dr. King. How I wish words were enough to convince me to change, but I need more. When a leader meets a moment to me, I need to feel it, not just hear it. They need to touch my whole body, my spirit, and my mind. Reaching down through 60 years, I ask myself, why are Dr. King's words so powerful today, as powerful today as when they were written? And he writes and makes me understand why. When you have seen vicious mobs lynch your mothers and fathers at will and drown your sisters and brothers at whim, when you have seen hate-filled policemen curse, kick, brutalize, and even kill your black brothers and sisters with impunity, when you are harried by day and haunted by night by the fact that you are a Negro living constantly at tiptoe stance, never knowing what to expect next. I hope, dear sirs, he deadpans, can understand our legitimate and unavoidable impatience. And President Zelensky shared his reality with us. The enemy's military and mercenaries have been attacking nonstop since May. They are attacking by nay, day and night. Last year, 70,000 people lived there in Bakhmut, and now only a few civilians stay. Every inch of that land is soaked in blood. Roaring guns sound every hour. Trenches change hands several times a day in fierce combat and even hand fighting. So here is the front line, he says. The tyranny, which has no lack of cruelty against the lives of free people. 
President Zelensky continued, this struggle will define in what world our children and grandchildren will live and then their children and grandchildren. It will define whether it will be a democracy for Ukrainians and for Americans and for all. This battle cannot be frozen or postponed. It cannot be ignored, hoping that the ocean or something else will provide protection. In those words, today I hear a warning like thunder before a storm. I can also hear Dr. King's words. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. And so great leaders' words must be met by deeds, and sometimes with the, only, with the ultimate price only a human can offer. Dr. King paid that price. President Zelensky may yet escape that fate, yet he knows too well the hollowness of words when bombs are falling and his people are dying. So as our, our hymn says, once to every soul and nation comes the moment to decide in the strife of truth with falsehood for the good or evil side. Dr. King's final words from his letter inside that, written inside that cramped and dingy cell, delivered today on our beautiful cancel, chancel, ring out to me. He writes, if I have said anything in this letter that is an understatement of the truth and is indicative of an unreasonable patience, I beg you to forgive me. If I've said anything in this letter that is an overstatement of the truth and is indicative of my having a patience that makes me patient with anything less than brotherhood, I beg God to forgive me. Great leaders and prophets and visionaries call us to three things. They remind us that our world is interconnected, that it is long past time to right the wrongs we have inherited, and that great prophetic words, aspirations, and values must be met by deeds and sometimes great sacrifice. Amen.
And now in our comings and going, may the light of love shine upon us, out from within us. Be gracious unto us and grant us peace, for this is the day we are given. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. <laughs>